It's good to see you. I'm Rick Hazelup, one of the pastors here on staff. Good morning, teenagers. How are you? Great. Awesome. <laughs> good to see you. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Today we start this new series called Running with the Giants. Now, we've done this before. It comes out of a book by John Maxwell with the exact same title, Running with the Giants. And here's the big idea behind the whole series. Oh, by the way, before I jump into that, hello, everybody watching us online. Good to see you. Thank you for choosing us and spending the hour with us. I would say hey to Hank Sterling, but he's not watching online. He's sitting right here. Hello, Hank. Good to see you. They know who you are because I've talked about you before. Truck driver, Hank, you're not in Colorado today or you're not somewhere else. You're just sitting right here with me. Man, God bless you. And thank you, guys. I was talking with him, and he's, like, opened us up to so many other people all the way from Canada. All, all Anyway, so if you're watching, wherever you are, man, God bless you. Thank you. Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 unless you're driving, and then just listen along. Right? So... So here we go. Uh, the, the running with the giants is this whole big idea about all these great men and women of faith in the Bible. And it's like they're sitting up in heaven, and they've become your cheering section. They're, they're, they're rooting you on. Let me show it to you in the Bible. So this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, now this is chapter 12, verse 1. And anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, it means it's, it's there for a reason. And so, therefore, meaning you got to look back at what he has been talking about so you can know what he's about to tell you. And in chapter 11, one of the best chapters in all the Bible, you can read about all these great men and women who stood for God in difficult times, and they wanted to make an impact on their world. And so, Hebrews 11 just tells their story. Let me tell you about Abraham. He was awesome. Let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about, and he just names all these different Great men and women of the faith who the world was not worthy of them. But in tough times, they turned to God. They listened to God, and God did amazing things through them. And so he says, therefore, because of all their stories, because they're now sitting in heaven with God, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. They're like, they understand life feels like a marathon, that you're just running around this track, lap after lap after lap after lap. There's sometimes when you're feeling pretty good, and you're feeling pretty strong, and you're like, man, I can pick up my pace and pass some people, and yeah, I think life is good. There are other times when you, you feel like, I'm just, I got to quit. I cannot finish this race. I can't stay in this relationship. I can't keep going to the same school. I can't keep working at the same job. I can't keep dealing with that neighbor or my parents or my best friend. Or I just, I just want it all to stop. And they're like, we, we know. We know what that feels like. We know what it's like to have times when things are really going great. And we know what it's like when you just want to quit and give up. But he says, but that's why we're cheering you on. This picture is, here they all are in heaven. And they're sitting on the edge of their seat. And they're cheering you on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. But when there's a crowd and, and they're all cheering, when you're on the field, all you can hear is, ah. 
right? I mean, it's, it's just noise. My grandfather was so funny with that. I would go to ball games with my grandfather, I call him Papa, and he now is part of my great cloud of witness, you know, up in heaven. He's cheering me on. But uh, I would go with him to Houston Astros games. This was in the 80s, back when there was a such thing as the Houston Astros. And so, so we would go to these ball games and late into the game, late into the innings, you know, there would be some runners on first or second. The Astros would be behind. And Papa and I would be sitting up in the cheap seats. And, and all of a sudden, they would want the crowd to get into it, to cheer them on, you know, so that the players would feel the energy and, and you know, get motivated. And so they would flash the word noise up on the big screen. Well, everybody in the stands knew exactly what that meant. And so everybody would stand up and just start cheering. They'd clap. They'd go, yeah, right? My grandfather didn't know how to cheer. So he would just stand up and go, noise, noise, noise. I'm, no, 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 Papa. They're not asking you to say noise. They're asking you to make noise. He didn't get it. Right? But he had fun, and I enjoyed laughing at him. And so it made for a great time for both of us. But that's, here they are. They're up in heaven, and they're making noise. They're cheering you on because they know life gets difficult. And there are these moments when life does not make sense. What do you do when your world is falling apart? The big idea behind this whole series is when it just sounds like a bunch of noise, what would it be like if one of these great men or women would just come out of the bleachers and onto the track and run one lap of life with you? What would they say to you? If, if I could just have one lap with Isaiah and I could ask him, Isaiah, what was it like when you wanted to give up? I can read what you wrote in chapter 1 of your book. But what was it like emotionally? What was it like when you wanted to take your life? What was it like when you couldn't stop crying? And just let him share his story with me. So today, I've asked Isaiah to come out of the bleachers and to run a lap with you. And you need to hear what he has to say. Because his whole ministry was geared at people who found life difficult. And out of their pain, they discovered God. I got a phone call yesterday. And my wife and I went on a rescue mission with someone who's not a part of this church. It took us hours to find them up and down so many streets. They're crying out. Their life is falling apart. And I, and I couldn't get to them. Finally, late last night, we got to them. They need life to make sense. They're in the middle of pain, and they want to know, does God have anything to say to me right now that can make a difference? And if that's where you are, I want you to meet Isaiah. The first thing he's going to say to you 
we find out of his book in chapter 30, verse 21, where he says, if you're really listening, your own ears will hear him. He's talking about God. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. One of the first questions I ask is, what made you call? What made you, what made you call? And, and they knew, I've, I've got to have, something's got to happen because I'm, I'm in this deal. And if I don't do it now, I'm never going to escape. And, I, and they just needed rescuing. They heard a voice. And they said the only thing we could think of was call. Oh, man, I'm so grateful. But if you're listening, I bet you could hear the same voice. When you want to do something that you know is wrong, I bet you hear the voice. Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't pick up the phone. Don't send that text. Don't post it. Don't act that way. Don't go there. Don't drink that. Don't do this. Don't do it. And I bet when you want to do something right, and you're trying, should I, should I not, should I? I bet you can hear the voice. That's, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, do that. Say you're sorry. Say you're forgiven. Say, I love you. I bet you can hear it. And sometimes I bet you don't obey it. But I bet if you're listening, the first thing Isaiah, he comes down onto the track. He's like, the first thing I want to tell you is God is with you. He's with you. And if you're listening, he'll speak to you. And he'll, he'll, lead, he'll guide you. So when life doesn't make sense, I want to cover three things with you. Here's one of the first things I think Isaiah would say to us, and I'm going to use his testimony in chapter 6 to show it to you. Number one, our greatest pain can be a catalyst for our greatest gain. Any of you besides me come to God in a stronger way out of something that was painful going on in your life? Let me see a show of hands. Oh, quite a few of us. I was going through one of the worst moments of my life and discovered God in a new way, and he rescued me. And I know usually, and here's what I think Isaiah would say, usually when your life is falling apart, that's when people run away from God. He wouldn't want me at church. He wouldn't want me around. He wants to send me to hell. Are you kidding me? If I were to walk in that church, lightning would strike. I would. People are going to know what I've done. I'm, there's no, I'm not doing it. And there's for whatever reason, the enemy says that whenever you're at your worst point, whenever things are at their difficult, I want to run away from God. That's when, oh, you don't want to see God now. You, you should be embarrassed. You, why would God want you? That's the enemy talking. Isaiah would say, first thing is, God uses pain to help you draw closer to him. And he doesn't treat you like everybody else does. Everybody else may want to throw it in your face. Oh, I saw what you did. I read it. I saw it. Let me tell you. Oh, you want to know? You think you're? And we just throw it in each other's face because we want to make each other feel as bad as we do. That's not God. And so I want to show it to you. Here it is, Isaiah chapter 6. This is his testimony. This is when he first came to know God. Chapter 6, he said, it was in the year King Uzzah died. Okay, pause right there. He's like, I want to tell you when I first saw the Lord. It was, it was the year 
King Uzzah died. Uzzah was the king of Israel, one of Israel's best kings. He served God all his young life. At the end of his life, for whatever reason, he got comfortable and he turned away from God. He started relying on his riches. He started relying on his power and his influence. And he just went in different directions. And the whole nation fell apart. And people's lives were broken. Marriages were falling apart. Kids were leaving God. The enemy came in and took over. It was devastating. It was awful. And, he's, and Isaiah was like, this is the worst time in my life. Everything's falling apart. My life fell apart. All my friends, all my neighbors, all my relatives, our lives fell apart. We lost so many people who died needlessly. And it's funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. And we all are knowing, we know, I'm going to be next. And it was the year King Uzzah died that I saw the Lord. The worst moment of my life. And when I saw God for the first time, he overwhelmed me. He was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were these mighty seraphim. They had six wings. Two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. Next verse. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Shook to its foundations. That was his way of saying, My life was rocked to the core. To my, the foundation of my soul, the whole place was rocked. And I was overwhelmed at where I was and who I was looking at and what was going on. And so I was at the worst part of my life. But all of a sudden, unexpected God shows up. And it was so overwhelming, I didn't know what to do with it. And then as it continues in the verse... Go ahead and go to the next line, if you don't mind. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. On your outline, it says this. When we see God clearly, we see ourselves clearly. And what he's saying is, it's not enough just to see God for who he is. He's going to begin to show you for who you really are. This is not an easy process. So I'm just running this lap with Isaiah. And the first thing he's going to say to me is, when you're at your worst moment, God's going to show up. And he's going to want to do something in you. Don't resist him. Don't push him back. Don't do what everybody else does and just try to shove God out of your life. Do the opposite. Lean into God. And when you do, let me just go ahead and tell you, he's going to show you who you really are. He's going to clearly open your eyes so that you can see yourself for who you are. Oh, no, he's not. God's not, go he's not going to go there, is he? Oh, yes, he is. And it's, I, don't want to, I don't want to tell you know, everything. I don't want everybody to know who I really am. I try to hide all those things in my life. And God's like, as long as you continue, Isaiah will tell you, as long as you continue trying to hide who you really are, then you're keeping God from really doing something in you. In verse 5, that's what Isaiah said. Go, go ahead and go back to that scripture one more time if you don't mind. It's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. 
And he's like, I I know I don't deserve to be here. I know I shouldn't be in this place. I don't know why God is running after me, but for whatever reason, he chose me. I I, I know I don't deserve it. What I deserve is something much worse. And I just want to tell you, just, I mean, I know where I've been and I know how I lived. I lived a hard life. And up until my early 20s, I just, I did as much stuff as someone can do without killing themselves. You know, and it was, it was not good. I got kicked out of a church, got right kicked out of a school, quit basketball. I was playing on college basketball at Faulkner. <laughs> My, you know, I had a nickname, the runner, you know, because I chose to sell drugs. Just telling you the truth. That's awful. I watched, I watched people's life come to an end including my own. And I knew I did not belong in a church. And I didn't even know how to handle the things of God. And people are like, hey, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm fine. (laughs) Fine, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm good. Got a car, got a place to live. I'm moving. (laughs) I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, people believe, everybody believed it but me. And I think that's what it's like. You first come to God and people say, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm good. You first go to church, I'm good, I'm good. Everything's good. Life's good. Life's good. Home's good. Kids good. Life's good. Job's good. I'm good. Which is stop asking me to open up my life. I'm not telling you. Right? But you go to a small group, you do that. Jamie will tell you, we get in our small group. We're like, we're good, we're good, we're good. Week two, week three, week four, about week five. You become to realize, I can't keep holding it in, and I think I can trust these people. And here's the truth. My life is falling apart. I think my marriage is over. My kids won't speak to me. I don't know what to do. God's going to reveal. And he's not going to hold it against you. He's not going to beat you over the head with it. I told you so. Most people quit going to church. (laughs) Because they're like, listen, if I want to be told how bad I am, I'll just go home to my daddy. And I'll let him tell me because that's all I get from my my parents. I, I know where to go if I just want to be told how bad I am. But God's like, that's not me. Isaiah's like, that's not God. In fact, look at number three. God wants to remove our past so he can redeem our future. See, the, one of the biggest struggles that God has with us is that we keep seeing ourselves for who we've been. My identity is all wrapped up in my past. I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop blaming myself for it. I can't, I can't stop beating myself up for my bad decisions, for the people that I really wounded in the process. And I just stay in it. And we think that God wants us to feel guilt and to be punished. And there you go. You know, it's like, it's like, do you remember when Peter walked on the water, when Jesus was walking on the water? Y'all remember that in the New Testament? Here Jesus comes at night and he's walking on the water. And Peter's like, Lord, is that you? And he's like, yeah. He's like, are you walking on the water? I mean, are you walking on the water? Jesus is like, Yeah. And Peter's like, that is so cool. Can I do it? 
Hey, hey, can I walk on the water and come to you? And Jesus is like, yeah, come, come on. And Peter's jumping out of the boat. You know all the other apostles, they were like, Peter, Peter, stop. You are, you're such an idiot. You're always doing the wrong thing. You're always joking. You think you're, you're not Jesus. Peter's like, I don't care. He jumps in and he walks on the water until he gets right near Jesus. And then all of a sudden he realizes I'm doing things I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm not this good. I'm not that holy. I'm not Jesus. And immediately, he sank into the water. Now, when he fell, when he sank into the water, what did Jesus do? He grabbed him. How long did it take him? Immediately. Now, see, see you know, for us, our image of Jesus is that when we fall short, when we realize who we really are, when we get all wrapped up and we realize, I am not holy, I am not Jesus, I should not be doing great things. I should not be being blessed right now. And we just start sinking in the water. Our image of Jesus is he just lets us splash around for a little while. Hey, what's that feel like? Huh? What's that like? See there, you deserve it. That's who you are. He just... We feel like he's just going to let us drown a little bit. Having a hard time catching your breath there, boy. I told you so. It's not what Jesus does. Immediately, Jesus lifted him out of the water. And he's like, Peter, if you'll just have faith in me, you'll even do greater things than that. He wants to help us remove our past so that he can redeem our future. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had, touched, he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it. See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. And your sins are forgiven. God does not want you spending one more day with your sin. He doesn't want you to waller in it. He doesn't want you to beat yourself over it. He doesn't want you to just live in guilt. He wants to remove it. If he can't get you to see yourself for who he wants you to be, if he can't remove it quickly, then you're not going to be able to be effective for him. And he has a job for you to do. He wants to remove your past. We've got to quit seeing ourselves for who we've been. We got to stop playing victim. God created you to be more than a conqueror. He set your feet on solid ground. Out of the miry clay, he set my feet on solid ground and gave me a new song on my lips, a song of praise to him. And somebody in here needs to probably needs to hear it's time to stop beating yourself up for your past. God wants to redeem you. Let him. Give it over. You are not known for your worst moments. And what he wants to do through you is too important. You got to let your past go. So he can redeem your future. And do something mighty and powerful in you. And that's what he said. Then I heard of, you know, the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? He's like, I mean, all these seraphim are flying around. The whole place is unbelievable. 
powerful people are in the room, a great cloud of witnesses. And God is like, I need somebody to go and do a, a task for me. I need somebody to go do a mission for me. Hmm, who can I get to go? The unique thing is, all the mighty warriors of God knew to be quiet. They already knew the answer. It's not me. God's already used me in a powerful way. Who is God wanting to send? Who is God wanting to send? Well, at that moment, it was Isaiah. Today, who is it? He's calling right now. <laughs> Here I am. Here I am. God, would you use a sinner like me? I cannot believe I'm here. I've been doing this now at First City for 12 years. I still cannot believe I'm here. But I think God just has a way of humbling us, removing our sin, and setting a mission out in front of you. Okay, so Isaiah wants to give you some words of encouragement. So as we finish up this lap with Isaiah, these three words of encouragement, these three things from Isaiah, and then uh, he's going to go back into the bleachers. Number one, I think Isaiah would want to say this to us. God wants to reveal more of himself to you. God wants to reveal more of himself to you. God wants to reveal more of himself to you. He doesn't want to stop. He wants to continue building you up into something that he wants to use for a noble purpose. And he says, the time to begin that is right now. Look at this verse of Scripture. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near, Isaiah 55, 6. Now, do it now. Don't stop this afternoon, right now, in this moment. Now is the time when you need to say, okay, God, I, I want to see you. I want to seek you. I want to hear from you. I want to be used by you. I, I want to draw near to you. I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we call him the weeping prophet. He lived during a really hard time. And here's one of the things that Jeremiah said, because Jeremiah is like, look, God is already calling. Isaiah's already told you that he's calling out to you, and if you'll listen, he'll, you'll hear him speak. But you have a role in it. And here's what Jeremiah's role is. If you look for me wholeheartedly, your role is, is your heart in it? Do you want to give God your whole heart? For if you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. God's like, I'm right here. But he's such a gentleman. He's not going to push himself into your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open up, I'll come in and be with you. And you with me, and we will abide. God wants to be with you. And I think you know it. But for some reason, we get good at blocking it out. When my son was young, he was trying to decide whether he wanted to, Dad, you know, I, do I need to be baptized? I, don't, I think, I, I don't know, I want to give my life to God, but boy, I'm, you know, I'm just, I, I know, okay, I get it. I get, Dad, I've done some stuff, you don't even know everything. I, you know, <laughs> I'm probably glad I don't know everything. But son, when are you going to know? I mean, is God... Is God knocking at your door right now? And here's what I told him. I said, you know how sometimes God will come into your mind and he'll, like, he'll, he'll just be whispering 
I want you, I want you with me. I want, I want you to give your life to me now. And, and, and you just dismiss it. It's like, ah. And, and, and next thing you know, you're not thinking about it anymore and you're playing video games or you're out doing whatever it is that you do. Yeah. You know how we can drown the voice of God? Do you know how we can drown the voice of God? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So, you know, you drown it out. There's going to come this moment in your life where God's going to speak to you and you're going to try to drown it out and it's going to come back and you're going to try to drown it out and it's going to come back and it's going to come back and it's going to stay with you and it's and you're going to have to choose yes or no in that moment I pray you're brave enough to say yes Now, in a room this size, I bet right now somebody knows what I'm talking about. For those of you who have already said yes, that's how it was, wasn't it? God just kept on and kept on until you finally, you just couldn't hold it in anymore. And you just wanted to give yourself to God. So Isaiah and Jeremiah are trying to say, man, God wants to reveal more of himself, more of himself, more of himself. There's more. There's more. I don't care how long you've been following God. There's more. And so, here's the key. Go all in. Go all in. Go all in. Some of us, we just kind of play at it. You know, we just sit back for a while and, and we just, you know, it's like, I just maybe I will, maybe I won't. You know, I got a little bit of God and it's enough, you know, to change me, but I don't know, whatever. But we haven't really fully given God our whole heart. I would just want to ask you, right? Just in your heart, go all in. Get to the place where you can say, I don't ever want to sin again. I don't ever want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to wound anybody with my words. I don't want to lose control of my anger. I want to get to the place where I, I'm not controlled by all those things that keep making me feel less than. I no longer want to keep secrets. Go all in. Number two, God wants to change you. God wants to change you. Isaiah chapter 1, 18 and 19. Isaiah 1 is just a hard chapter. And he's telling these people, you've done the wrong thing. You keep running away from God. You're doing such horrible things that you've made it so that God can't even answer your prayers. And it's like when he was giving his speech, the whole room got quiet, and then he says, but come now, let us reason together, though your sins were like crimson, they'll be as white as snow. It's almost like, and for me, the way it looked was with my dad. I'd run away from God, I'd run away from my family, I'd moved away from Alabama down to a little place called Vero Beach, Florida. I went to a place where nobody knew me, I wanted a new start. And I got there and I was miserable and I was lonely and I was hurting and I didn't have any place to go and I opened up a Bible and I tried to read it and I couldn't. It didn't make sense to me. All I knew is that I needed something different. And I called my dad. I was awful to my dad. And we got in this place, and we met at this house, and it was right before I was going to marry my wife. And I walked into the room, and 
I'm looking at him from across the room. And I know how much I've hurt him. And my life has just fallen apart. And all my dad did was smiled at me and just opened up his arms and just took this step. Just that right there. And I just melted. It was like I was seven years old. When I would run to him and I'd jump in his arms and as the safest place I could find. And my dad loved me unconditionally. Come now. Let's reason. Let's talk. I know things haven't been great. But our future looks pretty good. God's going to wipe away all of your sin and all of your past. First Peter chapter 2, I love this. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will, look at this next phrase, grow into a full experience of salvation. God wants you to have the full experience. And I don't know how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been running after God. Some of us just kind of tiptoe into it. We do a little bit. I got en enough of God to where I feel a little bit of joy, but not so much that I constantly feel miserable. He's like, go all in. God's got a full experience for you, and it's joyful. It will change your life. It will nourish you. Oh, you will taste and see the Lord's kindness, not His wrath but it's kindness so take the next step your kid just take the next step what's the next thing that I'm supposed to do if you're not a Christian become a Christian give your life wholeheartedly to God if you are a Christian then pursue God with all your heart become a disciple a learner a follower of Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus then go serve somebody in the name of Jesus go give your life away so that somebody else can get to know God and then number three, God has an assignment for you. He's got something that only you can do. Sometimes we don't know what those assignments are. I got a good friend named Kenny Perry. He plays golf. He's on the PGA Tour for years. and One of the top 25 or 30 money winners of all time. Right now he's also on the Senior Tour. But this year... He's doing his goodbye to the PGA Tour. If you ever turn on your television and you're watching PGA Tour, you'll see Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. You used to see a lot of Kenny Perry, but he's my age. He's almost 60 years old. And so he's playing more on the senior tour, but this year the PGA wanted to say goodbye to him because Kenny gave his life away. He just, he's such a good guy. And so he's going to all these places and speaking, and he's waving to the crowd. And he says, there's only one problem. I haven't made a cut all year. Now, if you're a golfer, what that means is, is they play four rounds of golf on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. After the first two rounds of golf, all the people who didn't score well, they cut and they send them home. They don't make any money. And only the top 72 or so make it to the weekend to play and they make a check. Kenny has missed every cut and was sent home early. <laughs> and he's like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so old. I'm playing with all these young kids. They hit it further than I do. Their ball's jumping all over the green. And I don't know what I'm doing out there. And I just feel a little lost. And I said, Kenny, I remember where you were when God first called you on the tour. I remember the prayer we prayed. And you knew, God, that's exactly what his plan was for you. He said, yes. I asked him, how do you know 
when it's time for something to end. When God has something new for you. He's like, I'm struggling with that right now. And I said, I want to remind you of who you are. Because you keep thinking that, man, I'm compared to all these young players. And I'm still supposed to make cuts. And it's all about golf. It's not about golf. And And so I read to him this verse of scripture I want to share with you. It's in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise. It says, arise, Jerusalem. But what he's saying is, lift your head up. Kenny Perry is a really good, godly man. He is known all over the PGA Tour and all over the golf world as the most faithful man to his wife, the most faithful man to his children, and the most faithful man to his God. He's not known for making the most money or being the best golfer or having the best swing. And I said, you lift your head. Arise. Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. And some of you need to hear that today. You've given up your past, you've begun to walk with God, and you're doing everything you can to live out the purposes of God in your life. And I want to, Isaiah today is telling you, lift your head up. God is shining in you, and people can see it. And he continued. And as he said, he's like, man, the whole earth is dark. Darkness covers all the nations of the world. And yet the light of God rises to shine in you. And kings and nobles and princes, all these great people are going to see it. And it's not just that. In the next verse he says, and and people are going to come home. Your sons are going to come home from a distant land. And your little daughters are going to come back and cry. They're They're coming home. And you will find joy. And in your heart, you'll thrive. You'll be thrilled. Your soul will find what you've always longed for. God is with you. He is for you. And He's going to fill your life with joy. You lift your head. I know we've been sinners. I know that we've done things that we're all sorry for but God doesn't remember your past and he needs you to stand on your feet a strong army he wants to shine through you let him let him thrill your heart with joy can I pray for you Lord God